You maybe remember your psychology class and going through the conversation about Pavlov and his dogs. And he, re- he learned that uh, we, like dogs, our brains are very adaptable and get adjusted to certain stimuli around us on a regular basis. When you begin to think about that, uh, our mind can go in a lot of different directions. And there's all sorts of uh, habits and thoughts and relationships that maybe get built up out of some of those, um, some of those circumstances that we're a part of. What's intriguing, I think, for all of us is when we start looking at the science of it all, about how we interact with our environment, how we interact in relationships, habits, thoughts, decisions, words that we express on a regular basis, we start realizing that these are shaped by what they call neural pathways. Now, a neural pathway is really just a a way of saying that we've made a decision over and over that's kind of created a roadway for us to naturally respond and think without even thinking of it. It's almost like talking about how you would score drywall. Drywall, of course, is something you would build into a wall, and if you need to cut it off or need to bend it anyway, you would score it with a knife, and the more often you score it in the same spot, the easier it becomes. And so you think about the hundreds and thousands and maybe even millions of decisions that you've made over life, everything from the cereal that you eat to the people that you hang out with to the sport teams that you cheer for, and you start realizing that you have created a mind that naturally responds consciously or subconsciously to certain circumstances, relationships, and scenarios in a certain way. And so we started this series called Mastermind. Think about where we are headed in our life and how we're approaching the world that we're a part of, realizing that uh, this truth has been what we've unpacked, that your life is always headed in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always headed in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So what you're thinking about, what you're prioritizing, what you're keeping at the front of your mind is the direction that your life is often headed towards. So if it's an encouraging, sacrificial, giving uh, mindset, oftentimes your mind lends itself to stepping out and doing that. If it's, if it's headed a little different direction that's not so healthy, you tend to, to respond in an unhealthy manner. And so we were reminded that worry and anxiety and depression show up in a lot of us. And part of it is because of the, the thoughts, the directions of our mind. Now, let me give you the illustration how we began to unpack this last week, and it was this. We all view our current experiences through kind of a a perspective, if you will. Even as you came in today, as you came to church, you walked in a certain doorway, you parked in a certain spot, you either grabbed coffee or didn't grab coffee, you sat in a certain area, you have certain decisions that maybe you naturally headed towards based off of your past experiences, right? Right? the way you used to go to church, the way you go to church here, the things that you normally do. And so you, you don't even think about it. You walk into the building and how you did it either the first time or the last time, you almost naturally start heading that direction because your mind has already scored a direction on how you want to respond. And so even from the time that you sat down, you began to think about the music or where you were sitting or how things were viewed or whatever it is. Maybe you even brought a, a score sheet to your mind of what you expect church to be or what you expect the pastor to even be. But it's all shaped by our past experiences in many ways so that our current experience is automatically heading some direction before we even really get into it. We talked about it, you know, from a positive expect- perception, you can actually have too much of a positive thing. Sometimes we look back at our past with such great glory that it's, it's rose-colored glasses, you know. It's mythical in proportion. It's not even that good, but you, you keep living like it was. We talked about too much negative, though, being uh, 
tends to be a vicious cycle. And sometimes our thoughts, that when they're headed in an overtly negative direction, we know that we're unhealthy because we keep making the same decisions, the same patterns, the same relationships, the same circumstances. And until we renew, until we change our mind, we are going to be stuck in our path. So the question becomes, what's really at stake? We can know about our past. We can know about what's going on in our current reality. What's at stake is our future. What do we need to think about to change that? How do we need to change the patterns of our life? Are we doomed to continue to live out these bad experiences we had? Or can we be the kind of people that can change our thinking? Well, the reality is there is a way to change that, but it is a battle. And the word that scripture uses is a battlefield, meaning it doesn't just happen. I mean, if we were transparent, most of the time we'd have to admit that part of the reason we think that way, we were either trying to protect or run from or keep from experience something. And so maybe it protected us, maybe it shaped us, and maybe it's even holding us back. I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to uh, Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to take our discussion today. But here's the question we're going to ask. How do we begin to live with a healthy mindset? And I'll give you the answer just right out of the gate. It's we have to begin to fill our minds with the peace of God, not the lies of this world. Now, that answer may seem very, very uh, simple. But what we understand is this. To begin to think new and differently and more healthy and to create new pathways, new neural pathways, we have to lean into a mindset that's going to lead us towards the victory that God has intended us to experience. Now, we've made this disclaimer a couple of times, and I want to make sure we hear it every time we unpack this. We as staff are not mental or emotional experts. We're not therapists. We're not trained for this. We're not psychologists. But what we can tell you is based out of our experience and our understanding of Scripture that this is an epidemic in our world currently, that mental and emotional health has to be addressed And so consequently, as a church, we actually set aside funds to make sure that we can help people with therapy or psychological needs, whatever they, what next steps they need to take. Because like any illness that we may have, a cold or flu or bronchitis, we would want to help get the help that we need, not ignore it. So if you're in that point today, if you're kind of wrestling with some things, if you struggle with control or, 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 or worry or anxiety, I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope that as the challenge that it is, that you'll begin to rethink and maybe even reapproach some of the thoughts, the actions that you have in your life. Here's where we are. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As you open up Philippians chapter 4, what's happening is this man by the name of Paul has been fighting against his relationship with God. He thought he was heading in one direction towards his relationship with God, but he had this, these orders to go and arrest people who were following after Jesus. And in doing that so long, God confronts him. He has this kind of revelation experience where God reveals himself in the person of Jesus to him. And Paul recognizes that everything he's been living for, everything he's been pursuing has actually been fighting against God himself. 
After a series of days and some moment where God, moments where people begin to minister into Paul's life and he's, he begins to step back out into a new world, into a new calling, God actually commissions him, sends him out to be now an advocate for the people of this way like Jesus, this, this following after Jesus. But as he's done that, as he's been one that's begun to advance the cause of Jesus, he has become arrested. And so this letter that we're reading from is to a group in Philippi. It's a young church. And Paul has sent out this letter to say, hey, uh, even though I'm in lockdown, even though my life is contained, my ministry is not over and your ministry is not over. God is still working in these, circum in these circumstances and situations. So you see kind of this, this area of his life where he could be locked down and shut down. But he's clearly advancing the cause. And as you open Philippians 4 to this chapter, what he begins to address, the verses before that, is there are two people that are fighting in that church. And just like when fights happen amongst church people, oftentimes other people get damaged in that process. And so Paul is confronting that conflict, that fight. He's saying, we need to put this at peace. We need to change this for the health and direction of our congregation and for the sake of what's going on in our community. And then Paul unpacks these kinds of thoughts. Because here's what, Paul, here's what Paul's trying to say. Is that healthy, healthy thinking leads to healthy habits. Paul's trying to pause the, 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 the bus, so to speak, pull it off to the side and say, let's start changing the way we think. Let's start changing what's happening between our ears and begin to live a life that is centered in Christ so that when we live in the world that we're a part of, it might be evident to that world that we have been transformed. So he uses words like rejoice. Rejoice. And not have joy, but rejoice. And I know this is semantical, but most of us would think, well, I need to get joy. Paul's encouragement is not to get joy. It's to get joy and keep getting more of it. It's like a merry-go-round of emotion that we are anchored in our relationship with God to the point that joy just continues to happen. And joy is different than happiness, right? Happiness is about what happens to us, the relationships around us, the things that we experience. But joy comes from an anchored relationship in who we know Christ is, who Jesus is, and who he has created us to be. So joy doesn't have to go up and down by whether you like or dislike something. Joy can stay continuous because you know who God has created you to be, and you can live that on a regular basis. Now this is, if you don't have a relationship with God, you're like, that's crazy thinking. Have you ever been a part of my life? That's the anchor of a relationship with Christ. It's a different way of thinking than the world that we're a part of. And when it comes to thinking differently than the world, we have to think, what does it look like to think like God thinks? To have his mindset. He anchors it in joy, but then he challenges us with gentleness. So not only does joy continue to be a part of the conversation and the relationship that we're in, but gentleness is our natural reaction. So when life gets hard, when life confronts us, our first reaction is not anger or frustration or retaliation. It's gentleness. Now, can you think about this for a moment? Every one of us go through hardships in life, right? Stuff happens. Can you imagine what Paul is actually kind of sharing here? He's saying, hey, if as Christians, if we can live with a constant perspective of joy that only comes through Christ, we could then begin to respond with gentleness to everything that comes in our lives. 
Imagine the kind of impact that might be if people who believed in the power and resurrection of Jesus Christ made joy the centered emotion of their life began to live in a sense of gentleness no matter what came their direction. Imagine how that might transform the world that it's part of. I mean, it might be a movement that lasts for at least a couple thousand years, don't you think? I mean, there might be generations after generations after generations who go, oh, living like Jesus changes people's lives. And so Paul says, let gentleness be evident. The evidence that you have a relationship with Jesus that's changing you in the way that you interact with the world that we are a part of. And then Paul says this, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. What's Paul asking us to do? That in the circumstance of life, we would first and foremost pray, bring it before God, petition, ask God to move on our behalf, and then be grateful for what God is doing in the midst of our journey. So it's, it's like Paul's saying this, you know, it's like, we need to go to God. Dear God, please work, come in my life. Be, be a source of strength. Help me to hold my tongue. Help me not to react the way that I do. And then God, also, please help my coworker to keep it together so I don't throat punch them. That's what a petition is, right? Right? So God's saying, so Paul's saying, invite God in. Acknowledge that it's his source, his strength that's going to change how we think and act. And then let him know, petition the hardships that are going on in your life. And then as you step out, have thank, be thankful. Have a thanks, thankful mindset that God's at work. Why? Because when these things happen, the peace of God begins to defend our heart. Now, we've been in this series for two weeks, and one of the things we've talked about is in this battleground, there are strongholds. We've got strongholds that defend our faith, that strengthen us in our identity with Christ. But we also have strongholds that are, that are not of God. They're evil. They're negative. And until those strongholds are broken, shattered, destroyed, we can't take new ground for God to work in our hearts and in our minds. And so what, what Paul's alluding to here is that through joy, through these prayers and petition and gentleness, that when we begin to allow this transformation to take over our lives in the way that we think, act, and speak, that all of a sudden God's peace now becomes our defender. That literally there is a soldier at the door of your heart protecting so that things that used to consume you, used to destroy you, no longer have the power or strength. Some of us aren't quite tracking what we're talking about. Now, a few years ago in the NBA, there used to be a great defender who played center, right? Dikembe Mutombo. Some of you remember who I'm talking about? And Dikembe Mutombo was known for a few things, but the most common gesture he was known for was the finger wag. Anybody remember this? Put your finger up if you know what I'm talking about, right? People would go to the lane and they'd come in to dunk or to lay up or whatever it be, and Dikembe was known for swatting shots multiple times, and when he would come down, he would just put out his finger and wave at it. Not, not here, not this lane. So here's what's, here's what's happening. When joy and gentleness become evident in your life, when you're bringing the source of your life, God, into your life and begging him to interact and change your world and living out a life of thanksgiving, God puts Dikembe Mutombo at your heart and says, not here, Satan, not today. Anybody need a little Dikembe Mutombo in their life? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit stands up and says, that's not of God. 
that's not helpful to the way that you think. That's not appropriate for you to live out, and it will destroy you. Now, Dikembe Mutombo is maybe a funny way to look at this, but the truth of the matter is, many of us have no one protecting the gateway to our heart. We don't. And we want a healthy life when we think unhealthily. So that's where Jesus comes in. This is where we begin to realize what's going to change our life. Paul goes on to say this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I love this list because this list is not inherently Christian. But we know that these things are appropriate and they're healthy for us. They are things that when you think about them, they only help undergird the pursuit that you have to live like Jesus. Paul's challenging us saying healthy habits create healthy results. If our healthy thinking can begin to change us, then these healthy habits can begin to lead to maybe different results that we have in our lives. We want the peace of God to stand up and fight for us. We want to see our lives anchored in a relationship with Jesus. Then the, the reality is we have to intentionally think about things that will lead us to that direction. Now, this is perhaps the challenging point of the message because if I'm to ask what most of us do when we stop to think, this is not what we begin to focus on, right? When we get home from a rough day at work, all we want to do is just let our mind veg out for a moment, right? We disengage, we disconnect, and I don't even have to go much further, but the truth of the matter is it's we're either on our phone or we're on our TV. And I'll just, let's be straight, I don't, I don't see much in social media, I don't see much in media in general that points back to health. True Noble, pure, right. That's why I love my iPhone. My iPhone tells me how much time I spend on it. And so here's where I'm going to get really just kind of off-road for a second. All the time people tell me, well, I just I have a hard time reading the Bible. I'm just not a reader. It's just not something I do on a... I, I'm just not the kind of person that's going to stop and pause and take time to do devotions. And yet if you pull out their phone, they're readers they pause. Now, I'm guilty of this. I'm someone who struggles with keeping a, a regular devotional time, always wanting to grow and be. But the truth of the matter is, if you asked me right now to either share something about my relationship with God or my opinion of the NFL draft, my phone will tell you that I am more educated this week on what's been going on with the NFL draft. Now, I'm not saying I'm auditioning for a job on ESPN. I'm just saying that as an honest football player, I like to read about the draft. So why is it as Christians, we don't read about Jesus? If we know that the only way our, changing is gonna, our thinking is going to change is by pursuing the things of God, there's only a couple ways to do it. One is to read his word and the other is to apply it. And you can't pursue a godly life without reading his word. It's got to be a part of it. Think about whatever is noble, pure, and what is right. 
Why? Because what you choose for the content of your thoughts determines the contentment of your heart. Paul wants us to meditate on it. He wants us to think about it. I got up this morning to the smell of pulled pork. There are very few things that speak to my heart as much as that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Put it in a crock pot, and what it does is it begins to marinate. The juices begin to help with other juices, and you find that the the sauces and the seasonings all begin to work amongst themselves, and the, the meat begins to tenderize. It begins to fall apart, and all of us are starting to think about what we're going to eat at lunch at this point. And Paul's saying that you've you got to marinate. You've got to ruminate. It's got to resonate. You have to consume. You have to, you have to let these things begin to sit in and anchor into your life and into your heart so that they naturally begin to infiltrate every portion of the way that you think, act, and speak. And so for, for Paul, he finishes this passage with some confidence. He says this. So whatever you have learned or received or have heard from me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying, he's not saying, do what I say, not what I do. He says, if you're unsure how to do that, if you're unsure what that looks like, if you've heard any advice or encouraged me about how to do that, then do that. Because my life is now being changed. And that's not arrogance. That's confidence of realizing that the change that's happening in you is not by your effort, not by your strategy, not by your good looks, not by your wallet, but that God himself has empowered you to think and act and live differently. Why? Because healthy results fuel healthy living. If we change our thinking, which impacts our habits, will start to gain momentum into a lifestyle that ultimately leads to health and points back to God. Paul's saying, just put it into practice. Live it out in every moment. Why? Because when you fill your mind with the peace of God, you don't have to live like the world. So we have to fill our mind with the peace of God. We have to make it a priority of where we are and how we are living. We have to begin to prioritize it in every relationship, in every circumstance so that ultimately God may be at work in us. Now, let me give an illustration for you this morning. Now, we get up in the morning and we begin to fill our, our day with a few thoughts, right? Some of you put your feet to the ground and thought, oh, man, it's sunshiny today. Well, thank God it's not terrible weather again, right? You know? Or maybe you start thinking, oh, looks like, is it cold? Is it hot outside? What's it going to be today? Man, I just wish I could have some time off. Man, you know, I'm just busy all the time. Why is it I can never seem to catch a breath? You know, I wish, maybe I should just take the day and I should just do, I just need to do my own thing. Well, even if I did, I'm I'm not sure if anybody would really even think about me or notice me. And we just start thinking about different things and sometimes they just get filling up our mind and, you know, we're we're evaluating who we're going to see and how the conversations might go and what the interaction is going to be like. And we just keep, we just keep adding things to our day until eventually our minds are just full of stuff. And most of it's probably no, no good, right? So whether it's a Sunday, whether it's a Monday, we spend our time in our life thinking about these kind of scenarios and these kind of situations, and our mind is just full of thoughts. And most of them aren't heading us towards any health or direction. They're not noble. They're not pure. They're not trustworthy. They're not righteous. But there are thoughts. There are feelings. And sometimes they show up in things like, you know, I'm never going to get ahead financially. I'm never going to be good enough. 
nobody really cares about me. My past has already consumed me. My marriage is this. My friends are that. My job is this. My car's in the shop. It just, start, it just becomes endless, doesn't it? And before we know it, we're in shackles. We're, we're ensnared. And Paul's saying, you know, you, you can't live a godly life consumed like that all the time. You got to fill your mind with something else. You have to begin to pre- pre- prepare your mind to live differently. So you fill your mind with the things of God not the things of the world. Now, when we talk about meditation, most of us in this world, we think about the latest book we got, the latest encouragement we got from our friends. And when we think about meditation, we think about emptying our mind, right? I just need to empty my mind of all these negative thoughts. I need to get all this rid of And so what we think about it, let's just dump it out and we'll just let everything fall out, right? But emptying your mind only leads to one thing, an empty mind, right? When you pour out whatever is negative or bad or no good, once it's out, it's just out, And the human body is designed in a way that wherever there is a vacuum, wherever there is a gap, it will naturally begin to consume other things to fill it back up. So Paul's trying to say this. He's not trying to say, hey, what you need is more time on the couch. What you need is more time in front of your your phone. What you need is more time of just alone time. No, what Paul's saying is this. If you want to change the way that you think and you want to see healthy, godly living, you have to empty your mind of these things by filling your mind with the thoughts of Christ. So here's what happens. When the truth of God begins to impact our lives, we may not see a change overnight, but over time, the more we begin to walk with God, the more we begin to follow after him, the more we begin to put into practice his truth, his word, his ideals, all of a sudden, our mind becomes filled with his truth, his will, his way, and not so much of us. Now, most of, most of us stop here, don't we? Most of us live the Christian life that says, if only you knew who I used to be. At least I'm not as bad as I used to be. Man, if you knew me before, I would. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying, fill your mind with Christ and allow him to wipe clean every impure, every negative, every evil thought. Why does this matter? Because some of you have sat here today saying, I'm not valued, I'm not loved, nobody cares, my marriage sucks, I hate my job, I'm broke as a joke. I mean, say whatever you want. And you wonder why God's not showing up in your life. You wonder why God's not changing your circumstance. And Paul says, until you fill your mind with God, until those thoughts become habits, And those habits become results. Your life won't be changed. So friends, if your marriage is stuck, it's not going to be pursuing more thoughts of self that's going to fix it. It's going to be thoughts of God that will transform you both. If if your wallet is busted, it's not going to be pursuing more stuff and having more things around you that's going to fix your concerns. It's going to be surrendering your life and filling your mind with God. If you are consumed with loneliness, loneliness and feeling like nobody cares about you no matter, it's not going to be fixed with wanting everybody to come and say hi. It's going to be fixed when our trust in our relationship with God is enough and we go from thinking about ourselves to how we'll be the kind of people to reach out to others. Does that make sense? So let's go to our time of response.
we talked about how we wanted to uh, begin to unpack this, uh, this series and how we would talk about my sabbatical a little bit. Let me tell you about why this illustration's true of me. At the end of 2018, uh, we stood on the stage and we made the announcement that I was going to take a sabbatical and, and it was not planned. We not scheduled it. We not thought about it. We just did it. It happened because we had a group of elders who genuinely care about my mental health and my emotional health. And I had a team of staff that actually came to me and said, Danny, could, would you want to take a break? And I said, yeah. And I said, so what's that look like? And they said, I don't know. We, we came in to fight you for it to make sure that you take the break. And so let's figure it out. <clears throat> I remember standing on this stage and I remember seeing all of your faces. Some of you thought I was going to quit. Some of you maybe thought I was going to get fired. And maybe that's too much, but let's be honest. When people walk out at the end of service, our mind automatically goes somewhere, right? And so we made this announcement, and I was given four weeks of a break, a gift. It really was a gift. I got to go on a mission trip with one of my sons and uh, got a chance to take a weekend away with my wife and saw my favorite football team lose. That wasn't a gift, but that's what it is. And I took two weeks to kind of begin to unpack where I was in my life, the journey, the kind of person that I've been, the kind of person that I want to be. And I remember sitting in my basement and I began to think about my thoughts. And I remember I had a mentor that was, was talking and he says, here's what we're going to do on your sabbatical. Here's what we're going to unpack a little bit. And he says, I want you to be encouraged. He goes, the elders are doing a great job. They're leading and they're taking the church forward and, you know, with you taking this break. And I want you to know that the staff's doing an outstanding job and things are going really well without you. And you know what I heard? They don't need me. They don't need me went to, they don't want me. they don't want me went to they don't miss me and they don't miss me went to they're going to move on without me guys that's not healthy it's not good and there were a lot of things that were fueling that thought in my mind and why it was going that way and other perspectives that I was trying to walk through and unpack at the same time but they were real emotions. And so at the end of the four weeks, I was supposed to have a chance to come back. You remember, we announced I'd be back in early December. And I remember the night that a couple of elders came over to my house and sat down and they said, Danny, Christy, we want to encourage you to take the next four weeks uh, to rest some more. What do you think about that? And I said, hey guys, I hear that, but I'm good, man. I'm recharged. I'm ready. I'm getting some of my energy back. I really think that God's going to take us forward. We've got to finish the year strong. And they said, Danny, I think this is for your best and we'd like you to just take another four weeks off. That was the best gift I ever got. It scared me. It was out of my control. And I remember sitting with Christy. Christy was in the, in the conversation with me and she says, what do, what do you think? And I said, what am I supposed to think? What do you think? She goes, well, this is everything we've ever asked for, that we would have a leadership that loved us and a staff that cared for us. 
have that. She will tell you that the four weeks was a gift. She will tell you that eight weeks was transformable in the way that I think, in the way that I act. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. I still struggle with a lot of my emotions. I still struggle with some things. The truth of the matter is what it's called is depression. And I've had to go through therapy. I still do. And I'm medicated. It's hard to admit that. Because when you're a guy that wants to take everything on and wants to try and fix everything for everybody else and when you want to prove to everybody that you're not the kid when you were in junior high and high school that you actually can be something, you actually can be more, you actually can do something with your life and then you find yourself being weak. Your mind tells you the wrong stuff. Depression comes on from a few different things. Some of it's genetic. Some of it can be your environment. Some of it can be your habits. And mine is 47 years of trying to prove that I'm enough and I'm not. God is. And I don't share that with you because I'm hoping everybody hugs me because I don't want you to hug me after service. Um, I share that because I think some of you share that same experience. And I'm thankful for an eldership. I'm thankful for a staff that walks with me. Ports and all, is not afraid to help me get help as well. So I stood on a stage in California after going through that sabbatical. It was my first time to preach. First time to really get up and share from the heart what was going on other than something that we had crafted for here. And I was asked to preach on forgiveness and I was talking about this in front of this church. And I told them about my sabbatical and what I said was this. You know, my wife and I have talked and I'm not a man who's, not a man who's headed towards an affair. I'm not a man who's headed towards stealing money from a church. I'm not even a man who's headed towards burnout and, and losing his calling. But then you think, what's, what's worse than that? What's worse than a pastor not, who doesn't have an affair, who doesn't steal money and doesn't learn his calling? It's a pastor who chooses to lead even while his soul is dying one piece at a time, one day at a time. To not also live as one of the transformed lives that is proof that Jesus changes everything is to miss the boat, is to miss it all. And so my prayer would be this as a church, that we would stand as the evidence, not of our failures, not of our past, not of our inadequacies, 
but the way that we think and the way that we act, the way that we have, we've cornered people, we've condemned people, we've criticized people, the way we've put people in boxes, the way we've protected ourselves, the way we've locked ourselves into corners, the way we've, we've anchored ourselves to everything that matters except Jesus, that God would break those shackles and would just tear those things away, that the stronghold of our life would be in the faith and the identity, that it's a relationship with Jesus Christ and obedience to him that changes our thoughts, changes our hearts, changes us to a life that begins to say, I may have failed yesterday, but I'm going to win today. I may have done this wrong yesterday, but I'm not going to be that person. I may have been self-absorbed. I may have bought everything to prove my identity. I may have worked as hard as I could to try and say that I'm valuable, but that doesn't work. But Jesus does. And may people begin to say, not just that First Christian cares, not just that First Christian does charity, but when the violence of the world grabs hold of her people, she stands in gentleness and joy. She does not cower in fear. She does not worry about what others think. She does not bend her knee to cultural expectations, but she serves in humility. May we be those people. May it start in our homes. May it be reflected in our marriages. And may it change our world. We're going to move to a time of response. And if you're new to first, this may be new for you. I'm going to encourage everyone to try and find at these tables, there are these balls, and I want to encourage you to grab one and be reminded. These don't have to consume your mind. They don't. I want you to take one. I want you to keep one with you and know that these things, they're everywhere but they don't need to fill your mind. I want to encourage you to come when the music plays and the songs begin to be sung. I want to encourage some of you to pray and just say, some of you need to empty out your mind in front of God and you need to empty out your heart and you just say, God, fill me with you. God, give me a desire to want to know your word. God, break my rebellion, break my habits, break, break the evil things that I so easily embrace. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you miss the intimacy of your relationship, so you, you cower in a corner and you watch and look at porn to put a smile on your face. Maybe you stand next to your peers and your coworkers and you don't feel valued, and so what you do is you buy stuff to put around you to make sure they know you are somebody. Maybe you're insecure, and so <laughs> you don't self-promote, but you personally destroy the people around you. Maybe our prayer time could be one that we just say, God, I'm done with it. Some of us will go to these tables where there's a light and we'll grab that ball, but many of us will stop and pause and we'll take the bread and we'll take the juice and we'll be reminded that it's God's broken body, his shed blood that has paid the price for the forgiveness of our sin. And it's because of God's brokenness, it's because of God's sacrifice that we now not only have forgiveness, but we have the transforming power of that resurrection at work in us. And it's changing the way that we think and act and speak. It's renewing new, new pathways so that we more naturally live for his glory and eyes on her. 
And some of us may go to these connect and respond boxes, these give and respond boxes. You place your connecting card in there. There's a decision, a baptism, something that you want to step forward for or give of your tithes and offerings. But I'm going to ask you to stand. Go ahead and stand. And when you're ready, when the music plays, the band begins to sing at your leisure, go to a response station to one of the six tables for communion to the prayer branches up front or one of the four boxes to respond. Let's take this moment and let's respond.